First up, an appeal to all of you with my apologies to those who already subscribe to us. For those of you who haven't, I request you to take membership of the Prince YouTube channel, which costs only 159 rupees per month. Click on the join button to enjoy exclusive member benefits, including loyalty badges, priority responses, and member-only videos. We're also now extending newsletters to all our YouTube members. If you'd like to receive them, I request you to write to us with your full name and email address to members at the print.in. That's members at the print.in and we'll get back to you. The body of the school's office assistant had been doused in kerosene and set alight, still sitting on her chair, blood from her bullet wounds pooling by her side. There are so many children beneath the benches, one gunman shouted, go and get them. Teenager Shahrukh Khan shot in both knees, stuffed his school tie into his mouth so he would not scream. The man with big boots kept on looking for students and pumping bullets into their bodies. The schoolboy later told journalists. Eight years ago on Friday last week, Tehreek-e-Taliban Pakistan jihadists attacked the army public school in Peshawar, killing 149 people, 132 of them children. The government rolled out a national plan to fight terrorism, centered around setting up special military courts to prosecute jihadists and handing out death sentences. Aided by United States drones, Pakistan succeeded in eliminating top jihad commanders and reasserting its authority in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province. Following the collapse of a ceasefire negotiated by former ISI chief, Lieutenant General Faiz Hamid Doh, TTP terrorists have beheaded, ambushed police personnel and staged public executions. Khyber Pakhtunkhwa residents have been demanding the government act. But Islamabad has chosen to instead turn its fire somewhere else. Last week, Interior Minister Rana Sanaullah blamed India for attempting to assassinate Lashkar-e-Taiba founder Hafiz Saeed. The dossier claims the research and analysis wing is operating a vast network of terrorists through long-incarcerated gangster Om Prakash Srivastav. Early this month, travelling along the line of control, Pakistan's new army chief, General Sayyid Asim Munir, vowed to not only defend every inch of our motherland, but to take the fight back to the enemy. Foreign Minister Bilawal Bhutto has chipped in with invective personally targeting India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi, calling him the Butcher of Gujarat. Islamabad has been strangely silent though on the growing threat to the country from the TTP. For the most part, military mottos inhabit the semantic space between rousing cliché and platitude. The first French parachute hussars, not always triumphant through their three centuries of service, philosophically remind soldiers of the Latin aphorism omnia si perdas, famam sevare memento, which means even if you have lost everything, there is still honour. The Swiss special forces, more poetically or more alarmingly depending on your point of view, inform volunteers that the path into the stars is rough. The Pakistan army slogan though is unusual in invoking an expressly theocratic conception. Iman, which is faith in Allah, Taqwa, fear of Allah, and Jihad fi sabilillah, Jihad in the path of God. 
this term is explained on the website of Pakistan's Military Public Relations Service, the ISPR, thus. The real objective of Islam, it writes, is to shift the lordship of man to the lordship of Allah on the earth. The Pakistan army is committed, and I quote, to stake one's life and everything else to achieve this sacred purpose. Put another way, there is a higher cause than the constitution. For centuries, law scholar Onder Bakir Cioglu has explained, classical Islamic theologians struggle with the question of when war was just. The consensus, he writes, was that the purpose of each war must be the promotion of Islamic values. Following the Second World War though, Muslim majority states, just like all other states, signed on to the United Nations Charter. The Charter says, and I quote, that armed forces shall not be used save in the common interest. There is no religious exception. The regime of the military ruler, General Muhammad Ziaul Haq, had rebuilt the Pakistani military, enshrining the notion of jihad at its core. General Zia was influenced by the Islamist ideologue Abul Allah Maududi, who argued that Islam was much more than what he called a hodgepodge of beliefs, prayers and rituals. Islam, he claimed, was a revolutionary ideology which seeks to alter the social order of the entire world and rebuild it in conformity with its own tenets and ideals. For Zia, Concerned as he was with re-establishing the political authority of the Pakistan army after its defeat in 1971, the attractions of this ideology were obvious. The leaders of the faith, of course himself, had an obligation, or so Maududi wrote, to seize political authority so that it may establish the divine system on earth. An evil system, the logic went, takes root and flourishes under the patronage of an evil government and a pious cultural order can never be established until the authority of government is wrested from the wicked. As you know, General Muhammad Ziaul Haq marched the Prime Minister Bhutto to an appointment with the hangman. The self-imagination of the military as an agent of jihad is still evident in the army's annual collection of essays written by serving officers and known as the Green Books. In the 1994 Green Book, Brigadier Saifi Nakvi, for example, noted that Pakistan is an ideological state. The army, he argued, was thus responsible for the defense of the country, not just to safeguard its integrity and territorial boundaries, but, and I quote, the ideological frontiers to which the country owes its existence. Later editions of the Green Book, scholar C. Christine Fair has noted, were replete with essays critical of Pakistan's involvement in the war which began after 9-11. The essays speak of the wellsprings of ideological sympathy within the military for the jihadist project. Following 9-11, expert Daud Khatak has written, the Pakistan army repeatedly sought an accommodation with terrorists. It allowed jihadists to control territory along its borders. The army signed an agreement with the terror commander Naik Muhammad Wazir in 2004 who promised his forces would unleash themselves in India like Pakistan's atomic bomb. The government even signed a peace deal with Fazlullah, the commander of the jihadists responsible for the school attack, just six months before the army public school carnage. Even though the peace deals, without a single exception, disintegrated, 
Support for a rapprochement with jihadists remained strong across the establishment. This had something to do with pragmatism. The option was a murderous civil war. The Islamic state of the jihadist imagination was, however, one close to the army's own conception of Pakistan. Two generations of post-Zia officers who emerged from a pietist middle class that defined itself in opposition to the westernized elite had been taught to see themselves as the vanguard of a new religion-centered Pakistan. This cohort includes General Munir, the son of a conservative religious family who, it said, memorized the Quran while serving as a lieutenant colonel in Saudi Arabia. Lieutenant General Ahmad Shuja Pasha, ISI chief from 2008 to 2012, could thus describe TTP jihadist Fazal Hayat as a true patriot. General Ashfaq Kayani, who succeeded General Parvez Musharraf as army chief, also backed negotiations. Former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, elected in 2013, threw his weight behind dialogue with the TTP. And so did his rival, former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who came to power in 2018. Following the army public school massacre, public engagement with the TTP became difficult. But it didn't stop. To the outrage of families of the victims of the massacre, TTP spokesperson Liaquat Ali, also known as Ehsanullah Ehsan, was quietly allowed to escape from prison. General Fez secured the release of top TTP jihadists and began negotiations. Late last summer, as violence inside Pakistan surged, former Army Chief General Kamar Jamed Bajwa told lawmakers of the options. The army could launch an offensive against the TTP, he said, but the country would have to be prepared for the reaction. Then, two weeks ago, the TTP made the choice for the military by ending its own ceasefire. Islamabad has predictably responded by ignoring the threat and turning on a more politically useful enemy. Even as the ISI engaged with the TTP, it began accusing India of ties to the jihadist group. In a dossier released in 2020, Pakistan claimed the school attacks had been masterminded by an Indian-supported terrorist it called Malik Faridun. There wasn't a single mention of Faridun though in the official investigation of the case by Peshawar High Court Judge Mohammad Ibrahim Khan. Earlier in 2016, Pakistan's military had identified the mastermind of the attacks as Umar Mansoor, who was killed in a drone strike in Afghanistan. The dossier was a pretty careless effort. It routinely misidentified officials and place names. There's never been a chief of the research and analysis wing named Ajit Chaturvedi, for example. Perhaps the dossier's reference is to Ashok Chaturvedi, who served from 2007 to 2009. Former Indian spy chief Vikram Sood's surname was misspelled, as was that of ambassador to Kabul, Gautam Mukhopadhyay. Dehradun, according to the Pakistani dossier, is in Haryana. Last year, Pakistan issued another dossier claiming India was training Islamic State jihadists at three camps. Latitude-longitude coordinates for the camps, though, turned out to point to a muddy lake in Jodhpur and a clump of trees between two parking lots in Gulmarg. The poorly prepared dossiers did little to dispel international skepticism about Islamabad's claims. Their real objective, though, was to seize the low ground, which is domestic politics. 
by invoking an external threat the army and imran khan sought to rally the public behind the ruling establishment the dossier was released soon after former prime minister nawaz sharif went for the army's juggler vein by publicly indicting general bajwa for manipulating pakistani politics last week's dossier reads from the same poisonous script this time prime minister shahbaz sharif and his new army chief are playing the india card against imran khan and his supporters just as imran khan played it against the sharifs even if the tactic works however it comes with costs and the hardening of anti india feelings legitimizes jihadist groups like the lashkar-e-taiba and jaish-e-mohammed that in turn raises the prospect of crisis inducing terrorism in kashmir which would undermine islamabad's own efforts to heal its economy even though the dossier might win the ruling establishment some applause from ultra nationalists and who knows some votes whenever elections next come around it isn't the map pakistan desperately needs to extricate itself from the minefields it has laid for itself i'm praveen swami and i'm national security editor of the print thank you for listening to security code